So Bill was the first guy in our church, but he's now up in Inverness pioneering Destiny Highlands. The other guy, Dave Henderson, you saw there, uh, Dave is an awesome guy. He's up in Aberdeen just now. Uh, so m- many of you are aware Dave had a, an accident and he's been paralyzed from kind of here down. So he's in a wheelchair just now. That we, filmed, we, we were up visiting him in Aberdeen two days ago and I was up in Inverness uh, speaking with the leaders up there. That's why we filmed those things. Uh, but Dave Henderson, what a guy. I mean, there he is, paralyzed. But you know what? He's kept going with the church. He's got two groups now, one in Huntley and one in Aberdeen. And he's outreaching and he's just believing for great things. And, you know, he's also believing to walk. So uh, I, was, I was praying with him and uh, you could see his anticipation. He just wants to get out of that chair. And he's, he's really looking to God for a miracle. He's some guy, great example of faith. He's going to be preaching with us uh, in, in the Gorgie building uh, later on in the year. So you can look forward to having him with us. So uh, let's pray that he'll walk onto the stage. Either way, we're going to lift him up or get him up there, but he's got a lot of great things to say. Uh, for once in his life, he's sitting down because he's always an active guy. So he's, uh, this has given him a chance to just really reflect on God. Not that we would wish it upon him, but he's really close to God just now, really walking with God. So, Okay, Father, as we turn to your word tonight, we ask that you'd speak to us. We pray you'd build us up. We ask you to encourage those who are discouraged. And God, I pray that through this message, you would mobilize this church and mobilize individuals. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're, on Sunday nights, we're going through the book of Proverbs. And it's probably going to take us the best part of a year. And the book of Proverbs, uh, unlike other books in the Bible, uh, from one verse to the next, it's a different theme. So we're not working our way through it in chronological order. We're taking it theme by theme through the book. And uh, we're talking tonight about uh, growth, about uncomfortable growth. And the verse that I want to hinge tonight's message on uh, is in Proverbs 14 and verse 4. We find this very interesting verse. It says, without oxen, a stable stays clean. But you need a strong ox for a large harvest. Interesting thought. Uh, Two cows were having a conversation one day. And uh, one cow said to the other, moo. Just translate it. What, what they're saying is that one, one cow said to the other, have you heard about this mad cow disease? And the other one said, no, it doesn't affect me. I'm a duck. <laughs> I hear you say, pull the other one. No, come on, move on. Let's, let's go on with the message. Without oxen... The stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. Okay, Mr. Farmer, you want to have a nice, clean stable? No mess, no smell, nice, clean stable? Then you don't go buy yourself an ox. That's fine. But you're not much of a farmer, and you won't have much of a harvest. In fact, can you even call yourself a farmer? Maybe you're just a a stable owner. Or Mr. Farmer, Mr. Farmer who's interested in the harvest, well, you go get yourself an ox. You know what? There'll be some smells. That ox will sweat. That ox will gas us. It, it, will, it will poo. It will make that stable a mess. It will slobber. But that ox will bring in a big harvest. And yes, there'll be mess. But that's what farming's all about. <laughs> and you know what? Some of you just want a nice, comfortable, quiet life. You don't want anyone to rock your boat. You just want to get through life. You just want to get your head down 
and get on with a quiet life. You're not too interested in having much of an effect in life. You just want to get through, don't rock the boat, just have a happy, quiet life. It's a bit strange considering the world's got such great need. But anyway, that's your choice. It's a bit ignorant, but hey, that's your choice. But others of you, you're saying, do you know what? I'm here for a purpose. I, I feel that God's got me on, on earth to accomplish something, to achieve a purpose that only I could achieve with this set of gifts, talents, and abilities that God has entrusted to me. Therefore, I can't sit still. I can't be comfortable. With such great need around me, what excuse is there for idleness? I must stir myself out of my comfort zone. Hey, you know what? It'll be messy. And you know what? It might be uncomfortable. And you know what? It's not the easy option. But God forbid that I settle for second best. God forbid that I settle for a comfortable life where there's a harvest out there for me to have. Someone once said, a creative mess is better than tidy idleness. There are many examples throughout the Bible of people who had to break the mold of comfort in order to achieve greatness. Do you know what? It's messy. Yeah. As soon as you step out your comfort zone, as soon as you do something that no one else has done before, then do you know what? You're going to fail on so many fronts. You're going to, you know, you're going to be spinning so many plates. You know, some of the plates are going to fall and smash. But I tell you what, I spin lots of plates, but there are certain plates I'm refusing to drop. I, I'm going to spin lots of plates. And you know what? I might drop some of the plates of, I might neglect some people, okay? Because there's so many people to care for. It, it might, I'll spin some plates. And you know what? I might offend some people because I, forgot, I didn't say something I should have said, right? I might spin some plates. And you know what? I, I might neglect certain aspects of life. Do you know what? But I tell you what, I'm not going to neglect. I'm going to make sure I spin the plate of my purpose in life. And I'm not going to, I'm going to spinning that till the day I die. And I'm not going to drop the plate of affecting others positively for the, with the love of God. I'm not going to drop those plates. If I'm going to drop any plates, it's going to be the peripherals in life, right? Not the core things that I exist for. And some of us were so, so oh, I can't let this little plate drop. And you're, I mean, you even picked up the purpose of life plate. It's time to get moving with the purpose of life. And yet life is messy. And we're human beings. We're not God. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to tread in some toes. We're going to, it's, it's going to be a bit messy, right? There will be poo around. There will be some sweat. But the fact is, if, if you don't get moving at least, if you don't actually even take the risk, then you'll be stuck in the rut of nothingness and you will live a life of, at the end of it all, when you stand before God, you'll think, man, I didn't do what God called me to do. And I would rather drop some plates than then get to the end of my life and stand before God and say, well, the talent you gave me, I just buried it because throughout the Bible is great people who took steps of faith, who got out of the comfort zone. The Bible is uh, an account of incredible people who did incredible things. If you never read the Bible, you've got to get into this book. It's amazing. One, one of the great guys introduced to us way back in the Old Testament in Genesis is this guy called Abraham. And Abraham was a very courageous old man. And in his old age, God challenged him to get out of his comfort zone, to leave his hometown, to leave his familiarity, to leave his, uh, what seemed, he'd, he'd grown up for most of his life. Now he's maybe 70 or 80 years old. At that stage in life, you want to settle down. You want to put your roots down. In fact, you put, you're preparing for the latter stages of life. You're not thinking of relocating. But here God speaks to Abraham. 
gets him out of his comfort zone, and he leaves familiarity, and he heads for promised land. That's courageous living. And yeah, it was messy. And yeah, he made some mistakes. But it was a big risk. But you know what? Abraham became a father of many nations. And whether you understand it or not, we don't have time to go into it, but you're sitting here because of a man called Abraham who took a risk in his old age. And then we have people like Caleb. Now, Caleb's one of those figures who, who isn't a, a, a predominant figure in the Old Testament, but he's one of the great heroes of the Old Testament. Here he is, 85 years old. Let me read to you from Joshua chapter 14, verses 10 to 14. This is Caleb speaking to Joshua. Now, Caleb and Joshua, one of the spies who went to spy out the promised lands, they went through all the battles to conquer the promised lands and to move, uh, to move in and take possession of the land. And this is what he says, having taken possession of the land on behalf of the nation, he comes to Joshua and says, here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day that Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that when the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out. Just as he said, then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephuneth, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, the son of Jephuneth, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. He is Caleb in his old age, 85 years old. You know, it's the time you want to just settle down in life. Don't rock the boat. Stay in your comfort zone. Having gone through many battles, you'd think, chill out. But in his heart, he thought, man, I've got an inheritance. And you know what? He was up for more battles. He was up for just taking more grounds. He had this tenacity of spirit that just refused to settle for second best. And some of us, are, what our world has done to us is it's, it's, it's sanitized you. It's made you neutral. It's watered you down so you look warm. It's, 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 it, this world around us tells us not to rock the boat. This world around us tells us just to follow the crowds like sheep. Oh. A day to answer, Kieran. <laughs> Swish your phones off. Please. But this world wants to kind of neutralize you and get you to kind of just stay safe, be a safe bet, just do what everyone else says, uh, just get your head down, don't put your head above the parapet, just be one of us, don't rock the boat, don't think too big, who do you think you are, don't be so arrogant, just settle into normality. But that's not the message of the Bible, and it's not actually the theme that's in your heart. The theme that's in your heart is <clears throat> you were born for a purpose. That God has got a grip of your life because he wants you to accomplish things. And do you know what? You think, well, I've got rough edges. I'm a, I've got so many mistakes. I've got a, a whole trail of disasters behind my life. I'm not going to step out. Well, listen, it's time you became someone. It's God, God's called you to be someone. Do not let your past disqualify you from a great future because God doesn't. God doesn't. In fact, some of the great people who accomplished great things in the Bible, they were just like you and me. Lots of rough edges. Lots of failures and disasters, lots of hurts and pains. They could have, if, if they had argued with God, they could have come up with 101 reasons why they shouldn't go for the things that God had for them. But instead, they rose up, took the bull by the horns, excuse the pun, and just went for it. So here we have Caleb, son of Jephuneth, in his old age saying, no, no, 
I've got an inheritance. I've got to fight some more battles. Let's get going. And yeah, the, the stable when the oxen is there gets a bit messy, a bit rough at the edges, but at least you get a harvest. You know what the word Caleb, that name Caleb means in the, in the Hebrew? It comes from the meaning of to yelp or else to attack a dog. Right? Or, or forcible. Right? I've got this image in my head of a little annoying Jack Russell. Right? I, I remember we used to skate as a kid, and I remember we used to skate in this chapel just near where I lived. And uh, it was cool. It had a really cool, smooth downhill slope. And uh, the other cool aspect of it is the priest gave you a good chase every time you were there. Either the priest did or his little Jack Russell did. And this Jack Russell would run out of the priest's house. I think he let it out whenever he saw the skaters around. And um, you just can't skate on holy ground. To be honest, I think what makes holy ground holy ground is if you skate in it. Personally, anyway, that's just another. <laughs> but nevertheless, this little Jack Russell on my heels, all the way down. You know, just know when to quit, but it just doesn't. And Caleb was like that. If it's anything, Jack Russell, I think of Andrew Owen's story, it's always worth repeating, of when he was a kid at school and his janitor had a Jack Russell. And this Jack Russell, you, you got a stick, and the Jack Russell would just jump onto the stick and hold on, right? So one day, Andrew Owen and his friends got this tree and bent a branch of the tree down <laughs> and, wiggled, and wiggled the end of the branch. And true to form, this little Jack Russell, it would not quit. It came along and it grabbed hold of that tree and they let go of the tree. <laughs> but it didn't let go. That little Jack Russell, it was going to beat the tree. So today you can go to Wales and there in the playground of the school, you'll find a fossilized Jack Russell. It did not quit. It was not settled for second best. But the name Caleb comes from this root to yelp, like a dog. Someone once said, the bridge between smallness and greatness is conflict. Another man who had this tenacity of spirit was Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Here's Nehemiah, and he says, in, it says the words of Nehemiah, son of Hilkiah, in the month of January or something like that, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant who survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted before and prayed before the God of heaven. And verse 11 says, I was a cupbearer to the king. Folks, here was a man. Now, if you're a cupbearer to the king, now to be honest, Nehemiah was a Jew and he was in a foreign land. He was... In a, in, a, in a foreign land, to be made the cupbearer of a king as a foreigner, it's a pretty high honor. He had a very uh, well-paid, comfortable existence as the cupbearer of the king. He had all the luxuries he could ever want. He was living in a very comfortable scenario in life. You know, to be honest, you could, his friends around him may have said, listen, just don't rock the boat. Enjoy your situation in life. You're lucky enough to get that job anyway. You're a foreigner. But here's the cupbearer to the king. He gets a burden for his homelands. And Jerusalem and the walls of Jerusalem are broken down. Now to you and to me, it may not have made any difference. We'd have heard that news and it'd be waters off a duck's back. But you see, when you've got a calling in life, 
What bugs you might not bug someone else because you've got a different calling to them. Nehemiah was seriously hacked off about the scenario that he heard about. And he just couldn't settle, so he prayed and he fasted. And you see, for many charismatics, that's where they would stop. They would just pray and fast. And they would remain a cupbearer to the king. But the Bible teaches that we've got to be a lot more than just charismatic. We've got to do the praying, we've got to do the fasting, but then we've got to do the doing, all right? This is where many, we all pray for revival, we all pray for our nation, but we do nothing. What? You're in cloud cuckoo land. Your nation won't change. You've got to take the bull by the horns, you've got to go for it. You've got to not pray for revival, you've got to start revival. The Bible never, never said pray for revival. The Bible says, go make disciples of all nations. That's what the Bible says. We're saying, God, would you? And God's saying, no, no, would you? Right, so God commissions us to make a difference. And here, Nehemiah, with this burden, he jeopardizes his entire comfort zone, his career and everything. And he went to the king and he said, King, would you give me a chance to change something back home? It's a, it's a big story, but you know, I just have to tell you that he was risking his, not just his career, but his entire life making that request. All right, you've got to read that yourself. But he was risking his life, not just his career. He was getting well out of his comfort zone. It was messy. But you know what? He was interested in harvest. And at the end of his life, he had no regrets. A book in the Bible is named after Nehemiah. That man went on to make a huge difference. You know, in a short space of time, he went back to the land and he repaired three miles of wall around Jerusalem. He did this. Some of the walls around Jerusalem were two meters deep and nine meters high. This is a serious achievement. He, he repaired 10 gates and he had 50 volunteers working on it who had day jobs. You know how long it took? It took him 52 days. That's impressive. Against opposition. While they were working, they had to carry a sword because of the people who didn't want them to do what they were doing. Yet in the midst of all that, he accomplished it. He got his comfort zone and he did it. James Bryant Conant said, Behold the tortoise. He makes progress only when he sticks his neck out. Martin Luther King Jr. said, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. You see, folks, being at ease can be a disease. You must get out of your comfort zones and pursue your purpose in life. Am I saying this for my benefit? No. Because I want to prepare you for the moment when you stand before God at the end of your life. I don't want you to get to the end of your life when you say, well, God, I just twiddled my thumbs and watched everyone else get on with their destinies. No, no, no. I want you to get to the end of your life because some of you are bubbling away with purposes, but you know what? You're doing nothing about it, right? Year after year passes, you're doing nothing about the purposes in your heart. Are you waiting for a sign from heaven? Are you waiting for an angelic visitation? Damn, I didn't. He just got burdened and did something. So what are you waiting for? It's time to get moving in your purpose in life. It's time to get spinning the big plates. It's time to get out of your comfort zone. And I know there's fears and anxieties and insecurities, and, but this and but that, absolutely. I understand. It's never going to be easier. There's never going to come a better time. We, all, we always kid ourselves on, our, well, once that's in place or that's in place. Well, once that's and that's in place, guaranteed you'll have another excuse because you've been making excuses all your life up till now. So how about just get moving? How about we just get going with the purpose of God? Yeah, but I've got all these rough edges. Yeah, join the club. I have too, and I'm the pastor. But you get moving in life. You get pursuing the purpose of God that he's put in your veins. Stop making excuses. And if you don't know what to do, well, just do something. Figure out what needs done. See the need and meet it. I mean, it's a revolutionary concept, but just fill the gap. 
If you see something that needs done, well, just do that. Or you see someone who knows they look like what they know what they're doing, then just get behind them and help make them happen. You understand? Let's just get moving. There's tons of examples in life. Marriage is one. Some people fear getting married. Too much of a risk. No, we'll just we'll just live together. We'll we'll have sex and have tons of fun. And but there's no financial responsibility. There's no lifelong commitment to a person. There's no legal binding commitment. Let's just cohabit. Let's just live together. Let's shack up. Let's enjoy the benefits without the responsibilities. Yay. Well, do you know, actually, you'll, you'll never really appreciate what true love is all about then. Because true love isn't just the benefits. True love is a shouldering the responsibilities. True love is making a commitment to an imperfect person for the rest of your days. Tall order. And when you feel like quitting, you can't. That's the great thing about marriage. And you will feel like quitting many times. But you've made a commitment and you believe you are true to your word. That's great life. That's true love. And you deny yourself the great, incredible blessing of a lifelong commitment because you're not willing to get out of your comfort zone. So at the end of your life, you, you can stand before God and say, God, I loved her. I really did. And she wasn't perfect. And there was many things that, friction, but you know what, God, I loved her, and we died, and that was it, and that was great, God. You taught me true love. I didn't just get what I could from her and dump her and move on to the next person. I didn't just take, take, take. I decided to give, give, give. That's what it's all about. Maybe you say, well, you know what, I'm a Christian, but this commitment to church and all that kind of stuff, yeah, that's for, that's for others. I, I don't want to make the risk of vulnerability. I don't want to get to know people that much. I, I, I want my independence, you know. You can be a Christian without going to church, do you not know? I didn't know that, did you? What Bible do you read? But you see, there's a risk involved with vulnerability. There's a risk involved in getting to know people. The risk is this, that you might rub people up the wrong way or others might get offended by you. In fact, to be honest, let me just make this statement loud and clear. If you haven't been offended in this church, you really, it's obviously haven't been around long enough. I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> Every church will offend you. You say, well, those Christians, yeah, yeah, you're one of them. Uh, in fact, why don't you just say those people, people, human beings? Because whether it's workplace or church, right, everyone offends everyone, okay? So let's just get over it, expect it to come, right, and say, oh, you offended me. I expected that. That's fine. That's, that's what will happen in church. People will rub you up the wrong way. People will offend you, and you'll, you'll be really miffed, and you'll feel like not coming back to church. But you know what you do in those moments? Just come back. Swallow hard. Ask forgiveness where you've sinned, and go and Offer your forgiveness where they've sinned against you, right? You know, we're all imperfect. We're all on a journey. And God's got big shoulders and we ought to have big shoulders too. So let's just get over it. And let's not make the excuse. Get out of your comfort zone. Yeah, it's easier just to go by yourself and stay isolated and not really go to a cell group and really get to know people. I understand that. That's, that's the easy option. But do you know what? You're denying yourself of great fulfillment. You're denying yourself of the opportunity to be shaped. You're denying yourself as a rough diamond of the opportunity to get those rough edges knocked off you. And that happens when you're around others. Those, their rough edges rub off against your rough edges and before you realize it, you start shining as a diamond. And yeah, it's tough. It's not the easy option, but it is the best option. Uh, E.C. McKenzie said that some people make enemies instead of friends because it's less trouble. Carl Jung, uh, again, uh, I quote people, I don't always necessarily agree with everything they say, but let me just throw out some quotes which I think are valid. Carl Jung said, the meeting of two personalities is like contact of two chemical substances. In any reaction, both are transformed. 
relationships. Can't beat them, eh? But that's, that's, that's the beauty, the awesomeness of church. And to be honest, where else do you get such a diverse bunch of people from different age groups, social classes, and backgrounds, and races, and agendas, coming together in one place, and we're commanded to love each other? That's pretty impressive, isn't it? You don't get it anywhere else in society. It's incredible. And that's what the church is. And you know what? When the church gets it together, when we live in community, do you know what an example that sets to a, a disunited world? In a world where people just hang out with people like them, and there's all these fears and phobias and prejudices, and, but here we are breaking down the barriers, offering forgiveness, living in the love of God. It's incredible. It's exactly what Edinburgh's been looking for. So let's build a community within the city. Let's build a city within the city, an alternative culture, a counterculture, a culture that will be so attractive to the people who know what damage isolation can do. It helps you reach your ultimate potential. Some people have just got to get out of your comfort zones and the rut you're in in life. Some of you are in the wrong career path and you know it, but what you do instead of changing things, whoa, I can't change things, you just stick with it because at least you know where your salary is coming from this year, this month. At least you know how you're going to pay your bills. So what you do is you cling to familiar. You won't risk changing career or getting re-educated. I mean, that's a crazy thing to do, surely. Roddy, who's on staff as our counsellor, he, he was not always a counsellor. That's Roddy. What did you do before, Roddy? Quite a few jobs. <laughs> but the point is, he came to a point in life where, he'd heard, where he sensed the call of God to be a counsellor. How many years ago was that? Seven years ago. Seven years ago. And uh, he just knew the call of God to be a counsellor. And despite what other experiences he had, he made a choice in his old age. No, I'm just, just kidding you on. He's, he's not that old. <laughs> and, and he made a choice in, in the midst of a comfortable life to break the mold and get retrained as a counsellor. And you know what? Now he's making a big difference as a counsellor. And this year he went to Destiny College just to get equipped it's, 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 it's awesome to see people taking steps out in life. Mark Twain said, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you did not do than the ones you did do. So throw off your bowlines, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, dream, discover. For the guy who's homeless, I've got a friend who was homeless and he was an alcoholic. He was 18 years old, and he walked into Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. He found God, started walking with God, got some accountability, got over his issues, got a degree, bought a property. Now he owns 30, 40 properties. He's a millionaire. He's doing well. He's uh, in his late 30s, right? That's awesome. But you know what? He didn't have anything to lose, really, because he didn't have anything, right? He was 18. He had nothing anyway other than the shoes he stood in. But now you're in a situation where, and that's all, it's a great story, but you're in a situation where you've got your mortgage, you've got your comfortable life, you've got everything, all the boxes ticked. So therefore, for you to make such a radical step is a bigger deal. You're not the guy who's homeless coming off the street saying, I'll do anything. You're the person whose life is already quite in place. Well, maybe you need to take a step. Maybe some of you ought to go to Bible college. Maybe some of you ought to retrain. Maybe it's time to launch out in the business that is in your heart to launch out. Maybe it's time to launch out in that ministry. Maybe it's time to start a church. Maybe it's time to get moving in things that God's put in your heart to move in. But whatever happens, don't sit still, especially when God's put a dream in your heart. Pursue that dream. Do not let any amount of comfort 
keep you and neutralize you in, in a second best life. See, we're moving to Gorgie, and we're going to run services from Leith and Gorgie. Leith, you know, from, that, from the slides you saw earlier, you saw the state the building was in when we got it. The balcony didn't exist. It was a collection of random rooms. The, the place was an absolute shambles. There was a lower ceiling through here. We rebuilt this ceiling. You know, we've done that since 2004 to now. We've done it, and we've worked hard to refurbish this place. It's nice and tidy. It's got a nice sound system. It's got multimedia. It's got comfy seats. It's got a nice cafe. It's got a nice visitor's table. Everything's in place. It ticks all the boxes. Here we are, moving our morning services to Gorgie, into a half-refurbished building. It's bigger. It's got rough edges. We're going to have to start again. Why? Because we're not looking for comfort. We're looking for harvest. Because we're actually not just interested in survival. We're interested in advancement. And I want to encourage you individually, and us as a church, it's time to move out on the purpose of God. Without oxen, the stable stays clean. But you need strong ox for a large harvest. Move out of the comfort zone for the sake of those who need it. You see, maybe if, if all you're consumed with is yourself, then you might not see any need at all to move out of your comfort zone. But when you suddenly realize there's a world around you that's in desperate spiritual, emotional, soul-ish, and physical poverty, there's a desperation in a world around us, then all of a sudden, actually you stepping out isn't just about your comfort, that your life is for the sake of them. You see, for you to step out in your dream, potentially could impact hundreds. For some of you, it could impact thousands. For some of you, it could impact millions. So why not get going? Get going in your thing. Don't try and be like someone else. Get going in your thing. But whatever happens, don't settle for second best. Well, what if I step out and I fail? What if I make a mistake? Let me tell you a story. The Golden Gate Bridge, which was constructed during its construction, uh, health and safety obviously in those days wasn't such a high priority because they didn't have any safety nets or safety harnesses. And during the initial stages of construction, 23 men fell to their deaths. Uh, you'd have thought after one guy died, you'd think, mm, maybe we should do something, right? But no, 23 men later, they figured out maybe we should do something. And what they did for the second half of the construction was they put a huge safety net underneath the bridge. Interestingly, in the first half of construction, 23 people fell to their deaths. In the second half of construction, only 10 people fell. It wasn't that it was safer, or it wasn't that you were less prone to falling. It's just that in their minds, they knew if they fell, they'd be all right. And you see, when you're all uptight in, in tension, do you know what? You're actually going to fall easier than you are if you're chilled out and relaxed. And just because they knew psychologically that the net was there, first of all, fewer fell and none died. But secondly, productivity on site went up by 25%. People, instead of clinging on for dear life, after seeing Tom, Dick, Carrie, Sally, Mary, and all, all the rest of them die, right? Uh, clinging on, I'm, I'm not going to be next, I'm not going to be next. I'm not even going to hold my hammer, I'm just going to hold on to this bridge, right? It, pro- it kind of kills productivity. But when they knew it was going to be okay, they could just get on with the job. And you see, if you haven't got anything under your life undergirding you, then I understand you're insecure. But I want to tell you, you can place your life in the hands of the Almighty. You can live your life not for self, but for God. And our God 
Although he is invisible, he's more real than the very ground you stand on. Our God is true. Our God is almighty. In the book of Psalms, it says, he is our refuge and shelter. I tell you what, life is insecure. Life is not predictable. You cannot, you cannot be assured of anything in this life, but you can place your life firmly in the hands of the Almighty. And even in an insecure world where you don't know what's coming or going, you can be secure because God's for you. And he undergirds your entire life. And the knowledge that God is for you, having the faith that you can trust in God will give you the confidence to step out on your purpose in life. Let me end with just a, an awesome thought. Our conviction as Christians is this, that God Almighty, the creator of everything, humbled himself. It says in Philippians 2 and verse 5 to 11, I'm going to end with this verse. It says, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, that's a, that's a big thing right there, right? See what I just read there? It's a big statement. Jesus was not a guru. He was not just a good man. He was not just a moral teacher. The Bible says, He's God. God in the flesh, incarnate. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant. Sounds like he's getting out of his comfort zone to me. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Well, how did he do that? Well, you remember the Christmas story. An angel appeared to the Virgin Mary, going to have a child. And this nobody called Mary, with no fanfare, no great announcements, no great possession, no royal palace, but in a stable where there was an awful lot of mess. God Almighty was born a man. Wow. That's pretty remarkable. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. This Jesus, who was born of the Virgin Mary, grew up lived an outstanding life, healed the sick, raised the dead, taught awesome things. He's become the world's most famous person who's ever lived, yet he was a nobody who had three years of ministry. Impressive. And at the end of it all, he humbled himself and he died on the cross. It was pretty messy. He was spat upon. His back was ripped open with a whip. He had a crown of thorns put in his head and then it was pummeled into his head with the sticks they hit him with. Even on that cross, they reviled him and hurled insults at him. And do you know what he did? He was totally innocent, but he shed his blood, his innocent blood. God took the hit for us so that you and I could be forgiven. You see, in God's mind, harvest was more important than comfort. That God was willing to take on the form of a man, not just to do that, but to die on a cross, to die not just a random death, but to die the most horrendous. Roman crucifixion was banned 350 years after Christ because it was such a grotesque and horrendous death. It was eventually banned because of the, the, the sheer pain of it. Yet God was willing to go through that, that messy death for humanity because harvest meant more. See, you were on his mind when he died on the cross. How could you not give your life to him? How could you not? Is it not only the reasonable thing to do? If he did all that for you, the most reasonable, the only response that we could give is say, God, have my entire life and future. I'm going to live for you, not self. Then on the third day, he rose again from the dead. He's alive right now. Our God reigns. Jesus is Lord and King. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is awesome. He's worthy of your allegiance. So it's about time you came to him, gave him your life. 
See, our God was not most, his biggest concern was not comfort. His biggest concern was you. Father, we want to thank you for the challenge of Scripture that challenges us to get out of comfort zones, to not settle for second best, but to go for the purpose, to go for the harvest, to go for the new life. God, I want to thank you that you yourself did this in your great love, in your great concern for humanity. You did this, Lord, and we love you, and we say thank you. Just take a moment to pray back your response to God. Some of you need to make some decisions about your future. Some of you need to stop procrastinating and start making true choices to follow God and take the steps in line with the purpose that is in your heart. Maybe some of you here tonight don't know the Lord. Why not tonight? Why not commit your life to God? I'm not talking about becoming a member of this church, although that would help you. I'm talking about having a relationship with the God who made you. You, the creation, committing yourself to God, the creator. That's what you were born to do. I'm not asking you to do something that's unnatural. I'm asking you to do the most natural thing that a human being could do, is live in relationship with the God who made them. So if that's you tonight, then come to him. And I'm going to help you come to him very simply. If you want to make your commitment to God tonight, then I invite you to pray this prayer with me just now. I'm going to pray a prayer and I invite you to repeat this line after line, just after me, quietly under your breath. Pray like this. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you for your immense love. Thank you for your love that motivated you to leave the comforts of heaven and enter into human existence. We love you, God. Jesus, thanks for dying for me on the cross, shedding your blood so I could be forgiven. I give my life to you now, and I ask forgiveness for all my sins. Thank you for rising again from the dead. I make you first in my life. I declare that you are my Lord. And from now on, I live for you until the day I stand before you face to face. Thanks for hearing my prayer, Lord. Thank you for saving me and accepting me tonight. Amen. Keep your eyes closed. If anyone prayed that prayer tonight, if you made that commitment to God, then I would love the privilege of praying for you and asking God to bless you as you embark on this new life. I'm going to ask you to do a simple thing. I want you to identify yourself to me. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm not going to get you to stand up or draw people's attention to you. But while everyone else's eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, then I want to ask God's blessing upon you. Could you just simply identify yourself by raising your hand? Is there anyone like that tonight? You made that commitment. Be brave enough. Just put your hand up and say, I did that. I'm going to pray for you. Is there anyone like that tonight? Let's wait for a moment. You made that commitment. You prayed that prayer. You say, Peter, I prayed it. Then put your hand down again, and I'll pray for you. Thank you. 
Anyone else? Thanks, Father, for my dear friend in the cafe. Thank you tonight, God, that he's committed his life to Jesus. And I thank you that you've heard his prayer and he has made this commitment and you accept him fully. Thank you, you forgive. You wipe the slate clean. I pray for your blessing, for your strength, for your encouragement in my brother's life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Get going for your purpose, folks. Give me an amen. Amen. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Come on. The world needs you. The world needs you. You've got purpose. Come on. We're going to worship God's.